Hello everyone and welcome back to Connected. We're kind of reconvening after um, just a couple weeks break and I'm really, really excited about our first guest back from the break. Kirsten Noonan is someone who um, actually she first kind of, I guess I first met her at Orchard Knob Middle. Um, her and Austin came to one of our church's projects where we were serving Orchard Knob Middle and we were helping paint um, for a beautification project. And her and Austin were just, as soon as they find out that there was something serving in the name of Jesus, like they were there and they were just so excited to get to serve in that manner. And um, ever since then, they've been a part of our church. And it's been amazing to just look back on, I guess, the almost three years now that has happened and everything that's changed, like reflecting on my friendship with Austin and Kirsten and looking at how they've just kind of gone from a young couple to now young mother and father. Um, and Kirsten has gone from someone who's in community group with so many people that we love to leading a community group to taking over, overseeing all of like the logistics and the direction of the worship team when Alan left and so much more just in y'all's relationships with her. And so I'm really, really excited to have Kirsten on today. Um, Kirsten, how are you doing? I'm actually doing really great, Brooks. Thanks for asking. Yeah, dude, for sure. Um, I'm stoked to have you on and to get to hear some of your story. This is actually take two, the first time recording for the listeners, recording didn't take. So um, we're going to give this a second shot, but thanks for being patient with me, Kirsten. Um, I know that some of these questions I asked you earlier today, but hopefully uh, people get a good glimpse into your life. So um, one of the things that we talked about earlier but that I think is like really, really interesting is that you are from pretty much like the exact same place Matt is from. And so is that somewhere you were born or is that somewhere you just kind of lived for a period of time? What was that like as an Ohio person? So, yes, I'm from pretty much the same place that um, Matt is from. Where he's from, it's a little more small town rural and then mine's a little more suburban on the edge of rural. Um, but same county. um, we might even have the same zip code. I'm not sure. But um, my parents are actually from Indiana, and my mom's from a really, really small town in Indiana, like middle of nowhere, have to drive 45 minutes to an hour through cornfields to get there. Um, and so I was born and raised in Ohio, and um, I think I just identify a little bit more um, as like an Indiana baby, I think, because just all of the rest of my family's in Indiana. We spend a lot of time there. Um, you know, we're close to the state line. Um, so definitely got more of a, I guess, small town country culture mixed with suburban, diverse culture. Not Yeah, sure. no, definitely. That makes a ton of sense. Um and so one of the things that we talked about earlier that I'm just like really, really curious to hear about is the dynamic growing up in a city like that, because you grew up kind of outside of Cincinnati, where it's a big city, but it's also like bordered by this like rural town. And for those of us who grew up in the South, those things kind of make sense to most of us if we grew up near a big city in the South. But the culture up there is just very different. Um, and so what was the culture kind of like? Was it something that you found yourself in church all the time? Or like, was there a lot of religious people around you? What was that like kind of growing up as a kid in the Midwest? Um, I feel like the Midwest is this nice mix of 
rural and you still have the Bible Belt, but it's also very diversely friendly. Like places like Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Detroit, Chicago, Minneapolis, these are very like w- like very welcoming places for international um, people. And um, so I had the privilege to grow up with all kinds of different um, cultures and backgrounds and religious backgrounds. Um, and for example, my best friend, um, we started being friends, I think in fifth or sixth grade, and she was actually born in Thailand. And um, my core group of friends were Jewish and Hindu and um, Catholic and atheist and um, Christian. So I had quite, quite the handful of different backgrounds um, that were first generation. Um, so that was really cool. And having like the most American as you can get background with my family. Um, yeah, so I kind of got the best of both worlds. Um, and I'm, I've been talking to my best friend actually every day now, and it's just been so nice to be reminded of how privileged we were to be able to grow up around so many different people. And, um, to also, you know, even be best friends with one another. Like, can you believe she was born in Thailand and I was born in Ohio and like we became best friends? Like, what are yeah. the Yeah. Dude, probably not very big if I had to guess. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So you talk about like all the different kind of viewpoints that people had. And I, I don't even know, like, I think when we're young, we're not even realizing the viewpoints we're kind of bringing to the world or the viewpoints that are kind of being pushed on us um, as we grow up. And so you mentioned that there's just a lot of faith backgrounds that you grew up around and you grew up in a very American home. So does that mean that you grew up kind of in the church or what was your church experience like growing up? Um, so when I was growing up, I honestly thought that Catholicism was different than Christianity. Um, so funny. I had so many friends who were Catholic Um, including my best friend. And um, I was like almost more familiar with Catholicism than um, the rest of of the Christian world. But my mom's Methodist and my dad is, uh, he was Lutheran and he would describe being Lutheran as Catholic light. Um, And so like really organized and traditional. Um, My mom's upbringing was traditional Methodist church, um, like such a small church that it had an outhouse as a bathroom. And I mean, that is just so country. Um, It is super rural. Yes, extremely rural. Um, And so I had those two as my background. And when I was really young, my parents took me and my two older siblings to church. And they were pretty involved and help uh, start the church. And it was more of a contemporary Methodist church. And um, my parents were involved in uh, Sunday school. And I remember them teaching our class one day. And then all of a sudden we stopped going. Um, Later in life, I asked them why we stopped going to church. And it was because their pastor at the time, um, he ended up having an affair with a member in the church. And it was, it was pretty devastating, I think, to a lot of members. 
and my parents kind of just stopped being in community like all together um did you notice that you think at that like at that young of an age i don't know what age it was exactly but did you notice like a difference in your life or was it just kind of like all right like i have more free time on sundays now um i did notice uh it was very subtle but you know we had kind of our routines on sunday morning and um like i remember we would get subway every sunday after church um and all of a sudden, I think we just became more focused into sports. And so we just never went anyways because we were so busy with um, soccer and baseball and football and, you know, any other sport you can think of. But, um, yeah, I noticed my my parents didn't weren't intentional with their own friendships or community. They were s- super hyper-involved in our lives and what was going on. Wow. So it kind of began this like shift away from like the the outward community to like our family is all we really have like time for or focus for. Is that right? Right. Right. That's exactly. Wow. I'm sure that's something that like a lot of us can even resonate with. I mean, if anyone listening like grew up playing sports or something like that's something I never even thought about is how um, my sports life growing up kind of became like the center of my family's universe besides work. Right. And just how big of like a deal that is for so many adults and parents that are trying to raise children, but like need friends and how difficult that can be. Um, that's crazy. So you talk about, um, when we talked earlier, you talked about like high school is kind of this transitional period for you. So, what was that like with high school? Um, what were the kind of the moment where you you found Jesus, but also like what led you to that moment? Like what was it like before that? So I was heavily into sports and um, I struggled with friendships um, on and off, especially like on sports teams. I, I struggled with um, kind of just not fitting in. And um, just remember not ever really being able to make good friends on my sports teams. Um, uh, The girls just all kind of excluded me. And I just remember that uh, I I was aware that they thought I was weird. And so um, I had a hard time feeling um, included. I was able to make friends in elementary school, and then once junior high hit, I lost all of my friends um, because I didn't want to kind of give into this following one girl around in a group from boy to boy, group to group, and it was just like this sudden social transition to where we're no longer kids, but they're interested in boys and um, like being cool and it was just a different agenda all of a sudden. And I didn't want to spend my time following a girl around to do whatever she wanted to do. It was like so weird. And so I lost all my friends and that was pretty miserable. And so I kind of went into this place of romanticizing, um, like this idea of um, I, I want to be loved and I want to be in this romantic relationship. I didn't have any boyfriends and 
um, middle school or high school. And I thought like, there's something wrong with me or I'm ugly or no one like redheads with freckles or like ugly, like everyone makes fun of my pale skin. I'm too lanky, you know, just all of these, like trying to point what's wrong with me or like, why am I unattractive or why doesn't anyone like me? And I think we all go through that at some point of like starting to, you know, not like who we are or question like what's wrong with us. Um, But like when, like around the age of 15, um, my grandfather died somewhat suddenly and it was pretty brutal for me. Um, Mm. uh, He, I was the only grandchild that he hadn't seen grown up. So I was the youngest grandchild out of everybody in my family. Um, And so my sister had just one state in golf. My brother had just one state in um, baseball. And so it was my turn to enter into the high school um, sports. And, um, and the season I started on JV um, in the middle, like we just started, we hadn't played a game yet. And he died um, after he told me he was looking forward to seeing me play. And so that was just pretty crushing for me. Um, so I spent a lot of time kind of romanticizing being seen and loved because I want my, I wanted my grandfather to see me be successful and play well and my parents to see me play well. And, and I'm sure it was this complex of, you know, wanting to be seen and wanting to be loved and celebrated. And so I kind of went into dreaming of being in a romantic relationship um, and wanting to be married. Um, it wasn't like a specific person or anything, but I had this deep, deep desire to be, um, just romantically in love. And, um, I would cry myself to sleep a lot thinking about this and wanting this so bad. Um, and, um, we hadn't been going to church. My dad would kind of sometimes wake me up on a Sunday morning to get him to go try or to get me to go try some new church. Um, and we Mm -hmm. did that on and off for a while and I would go with him, um, kind of out of guilt and kind of out of a nudge of the Holy spirit. Like you should go, like you should be here and always feeling good after I, I did. Um, and it's ironic. My dad, I remember, um, that, when we would go and listen to their sermons, we'd always leave right before the ending worship. And I always hate that. I love ending worship. Like I love, um, staying and in, um, singing and praising at the end of church. So it's just so funny that we left early and we never like did that. Um, but yeah, we just stopped going. And, um, I think it was my sophomore year of high school that I was invited to go to young life club And, um, I went and I, I didn't know anybody and it was pretty nerve wracking because it's so awkward when you're in this hyper group of high schoolers who know each other already and they're getting all hyped and like they know each other and you're just like, I don't even know what to do. I might Yeah, it's pretty intimidating. (laughs) For anybody, like just being around high schoolers in general is just intimidating. I don't go near them. Yeah, they terrify me. (laughs) Animals. Um, but... 
uh, yeah, I was there. I was nervous. And then I really, really enjoyed the night and it was fun. They had funny skits and they talked about fall weekend, which is a preview to camp. And I, um, I, it was like that same thing about the Sunday mornings. Like it kind of felt this nudge, like you should go, like you should definitely go. And I went and I was like, I am crazy for going. I don't know anybody. This is going to be weird. And I went and it was so much fun. I've always wanted to be at camp. I made friends instantly, like laughed a ton. It like, they just make it so much fun. And I had an absolute blast. And at the end of it, before our last talk on Sunday morning, I remember talking to myself in the mirror saying, you know what, I had a great weekend and I made friends and this was amazing, but you know, I didn't, I didn't really feel anything. And it was almost like a nudge back to the Holy Spirit saying like, hey, I didn't really like feel what I thought I would come here and feel. When, and when I talk about the Holy Spirit, then I had no idea it was like the Holy Spirit, you know, it's kind of like I'm talking from an outside perspective now. But at the time, it was so it was like kind of a prophetic moment, like leaning into what was about to happen. The last talk they did, they did this raw cut um, explanation of the cross and what Jesus went through and suffering in order to forgive us, to pursue us in love. And I was just beside myself because it all, like, as soon as they started playing music after they went, um, through the story of Jesus's, uh, death and resurrection, um, it just clicked that, romance and that person I've wanted to just long for me as I've longed for them um the person that fits my life and makes me whole um the person I've cried over and over and over again the thing that I've been longing so badly for is right in front of me and his name is Jesus and he has been waiting for me to come to him um and that's where I just like basically opened my arms and like surrendered like this is it I'm sold out this is who I'm supposed to be with and his name is Jesus and that's when I accepted Christ in my life and I was heavily involved in young life so much that people mistook me as like a young life leader (laughs) yeah that's awesome I was just so on fire for Jesus and it was great um I loved it. it it was just so amazing to experience that and um to continue to experience that dude that is so awesome um it's so cool to even just like hear you talk about it and like hear the emotion and your voice kind of rise as you talk about it um it's, so it sounds like one of the things that is kind of like distinctive to just your journey and what god's done in your life is really meeting kind of these lies that the enemy was using to kind of like hold you captive about your identity and your worth. And I think so many of us can like resonate with what it feels like to go through change in middle and high school and feel like there's something wrong with us and mm. feel like like we're not good enough or we're rejected or something like that. And so um, for you and like your walk with Jesus, obviously there's this moment like, 
when you're at Young Life Camp where it's like, all right, everything's clear. Like, this is definitely a lie. This is the truth about God and who Jesus is. Like, this is so freeing to learn this. But for what I've experienced, at least, is that that moment of clarity doesn't last the rest of my life. And it's kind of like a lifelong battle to fight to continue to believe that. Is that something that you've experienced personally also? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I am a four on the Enneagram, four wing three. And so that means I operate out of my heart and I am so deeply emotional and sensitive. And, you know, this is this comes as like a blessing and a curse. I'm able to have compassion and have empathy and um, all that good stuff and really sit into really difficult stuff with people. But, um, man, it can feel like turmoil for sure. And so those lies did not just vanish. Those are lies that just somehow keep trying to come back. Um, Mm. I think we always see like a main lie or main theme that keeps trying to come back to, um, you know, attack us. And um, I hadn't dated anyone um, I'm not sure if I even kissed anyone before I accepted Jesus. And that was at the age of 16. And, um, just after that is where I think more sin entered into my life where I got confused with romantic relationships. And it's like, as soon as I graduated high school, I had trouble with dating and seeing my worth. And, um, I had dated a guy who ended up calling me a narcissist and shut me out. And I dated a guy who was eight years older than me at the age of 18. And, uh, he was in church and, um, the relationship was really unhealthy where I thought it was okay. And, um, just those lies began to enter in and that desire for a romantic relationship kind of can take over and um, where I was unfortunately really naive when it came to dating and didn't have a ton of people around me to tell me, hey, I don't think this is a good idea or I don't think this person is right for you or this seems kind of sketchy that you as an 18-year-old are dating a 25-year-old. But, you know, because these people were, you know, quote unquote Christians and I just thought it was okay. And, you know, this is an area that has left me feeling like trash or used or taken advantage of and really investing myself in people who weren't investing themselves in me. And, um, it got really confusing. Um, and I, just didn't date good people. And it was really, really hard for me. And it was very ambiguous. And um, this older guy ended up going behind my back and dating one of my friends. And they ended up getting engaged after three months. And I like, they were dating while I thought we were dating. And it was just a big, and it was part of the ministry I was involved in as well as my church because I interned at the church that he worked at and it was very complicated and left me feeling like desolate. Um, And 
Um, a couple years later, I, I dated another person who ended up also being very ambiguous and in and out of the relationship or, you know, wanting to, you know, stop where we were. And it, it felt like, and looked like I was being used as like a comfort or Mm. like a security blanket for them. And where I wanted to commit more and I was in the relationship they were, Mm. um, fortunately not on the same page. And so these lies of rejection and I'm not good enough, or I'm not pretty enough, or, and then them dumping me for the second time, um, ended up, they were just talking to somebody else. Um, so like, and I had people that I dated that ended up with marrying some of my friends. And so there was this theme of like, you know, no one wants you or, Mm. you know, that, was so specific, that romance thing, you know, like I, I did want to be married and I, I did want to be loved and pursued. Um, but these relationships weren't working out. And the guy I had just, I was just talking about, he was doing YWAM in LA. And then when I decided I should do YWAM and he insisted as well, I, um, before I went out there, I flew to surprise him to visit. And the day before he broke up with me before wow. I out there, I flew out there anyways, there's no way I could cancel my flight. So that was so, but it was so good. We, we got, I got there. It was horribly awkward. I was completely heartbroken and I felt the peace of the Lord, like never before that I should be there. And wow. it was dark. Um, while being broken up with, with the person that's there, I was like, why would I want to come here? The person who broke my heart. Right. Um, so the following fall, I ended up dating this guy again. Um, and then on my way out to LA, I drove out to LA with one of my friends and, uh, he broke up with me on the way out there <laughs> over the phone. Holy cow. Yeah. So like completely heartbroken again and everyone wasn't supportive of me going out there because they thought he was going to be out there and I was chasing him and that was not the case and I was like look I am not going to somewhere that's comfortable I'm like I'm doing this because I feel the peace of the Lord leading me um and so it was I felt like I was completely on my own out there I was like this is it like this is a new beginning for me and I spent those six months just um, just healing and really, it really broke down my identity and brought me back to the beginning of how Jesus made me feel in that moment that mm. I said yes to him. That is some really heavy stuff. Um, man, I am just sorry of, that you've had to experience so many hard things, especially relating to something that you wanted so bad and sometimes i think that can almost be the most dangerous place is when we want something so badly that we're willing to endure some really hard things um but obviously the story didn't end there for you thankfully um it didn't end in broken heart perpetually and kind of stuck in this sense of ambiguity um you went out to ywam and you eventually met austin so what was that like, kind of going out to YWAM, meeting Austin, um, all of that for the first time? Um, so after that break off, 
our breakup, I ended up spending those six months crying, um, listening to Adele's um, 25 album, which is spectacular, my favorite album of all time. Okay. And I'm very timely. Yeah, <laughs> um, I bet. He's very heartbroken. Um, so, I mean, that became like the theme. So in YWAM, you uh, spend six months in your discipleship training school, um, kind of deconstructing your uh, faith. And it doesn't matter what background you came from. It's just kind of making um, God known to you. So uh, Youth with the Mission is all about um, knowing God and making God known. So you spend the first three months um, getting to know God and um, you learn things like the father heart of God and um, hearing God's voice and the Holy Spirit and um, you go through very intense Bible study um, uh, with people in your class and you take um, three to four hour classes every day and then you have work duties in the afternoon um, so it's very, very focused time, and it's it's nice to break away from everything that you've ever known to really uh, deconstruct and focus on God. And then the second three months is for um, outreach to make God known. So you go to a different country and you serve in various ways um, to share the gospel. Um, and the first six months, I was um, isolated from my friends and um, from my parents and just really far away from everything I knew. And um, it was so good because I came back from outreach kind of like, oh, I'm never like, I don't need a man and I'm never going to date again. Definitely never a skateboarder again because the guy I dated that had just broke my heart was a skateboarder. And I'm like, I don't like skateboarders um you know I'm an independent woman who don't need no man I am you know filled with Jesus um and then I did a secondary school right after and it's for ministry development and the only person I didn't know that was coming in our class his name was Austin Noonan and he was from Chattanooga Tennessee and he's actually quite a bit younger than me. Um, he's quiet. He doesn't like dancing. He um, is very much in the background, likes to play by his own rules. Um, looks like he just got out of juvie. Um, so when we shared our testimonies, I thought that Austin had done every drug in the book, has partied a ton, has slept around, you name it. He's a skateboarder. He's tatted up. He's got all these weird juvie tats. You know, he's got earrings in his hair or in his ears. And I just thought there's no way that, you know, like, yeah, I just thought kind of the worst. I assumed the worst in him. Yeah. <laughs> Comes with being a skateboarder, I think. And um, he shared his testimony about being raised in faith and by, um, local missionaries for inner city and, um, yeah, just how his faith has been unwavering and that he's never drank, never smoked, never done drugs, never had sex, 
he barely had a girlfriend like once. And so it was just, I was pretty much floored because I was convinced that, um, there wasn't a guy out there who wanted to focus on Jesus. Um, Austin was very good at being in the world, but not of it. And Mm. He displays discipline and um, unshakable faith, and he is disciplined and dependable and honorable. And he was very quiet, so we didn't become friends right away. But one day in San Francisco, he sat down next to me and just started asking me questions about my life. And just showed intentionality. And from then on, I was hooked. Um, He just pursued me. And we would find ourselves in the same group. I found out later that was intentional by him. And classic. Yeah, I know. I was in complete denial that he liked me because I, I firmly believe he could have any girl that he could ever want. And you know, he's very, very good looking, you know, he's tall, he's tan, beautiful smile, very gentle. And, um, he's also edgy and mysterious and, um, he's just alluring as a person. And, um, I was just in denial. Like he doesn't like me. He doesn't like me. There's no way I shouldn't like him. He's four years younger than me. This is weird. Like he, he's just turning 19. I'm freaking out. Um, So I had like all these things in my head and we started actually um, going on walks um, around the neighborhood after he told me uh, he liked me over a text message and I was shooketh. Um, (laughs) So we we started going on walks to try try to get to know each other a little bit better. Um, And man... um, it made me nervous, so nervous that I had to, you know, stop him in his tracks and be like, I can't walk with you. I just told God, like, I'm never, like, being with a man ever, ever. <laughs> like, it's just him. I need to talk to him about this. And I went on, on a walk with God, and I said all the things I was concerned about with the dancing. He doesn't like SpongeBob. He doesn't <laughs> like rules. He's always late. His pants don't fit. He kind of just does his own thing um like he's a skateboarder this doesn't work um it's just not gonna work god like there's no way and i asked god for the first time that i hadn't done ever before with any person i ever dated i said god what do you think about him Hmm. god just simply said to me i think he's suitable for you and it And I was like, okay, I guess I'll give this a try. And we would just walk and talk for hours, for hours. And like not even hold hands or anything, just talked. And at the end of the night, we we lived in trailers. Um, <laughs> and he'd walk me back to my trailer and give me a hug. Um, and he would tell me like, I love you. Like two weeks after he told me that he liked me and I would just push him away and be like, don't say that because you saying I love you means that you want to marry me 
and you want to sacrifice for me and that you want to become Christ-like and love me as Christ has loved the church. Like, don't come at me with those words. I got so mad at him and he kept saying it. And I was like preparing myself to be heartbroken again. But lo and behold, he was true to his word. He truly did love me. And about, I would say, nine months later, we got engaged. And um, I moved from Ohio to Tennessee and got married and thought I couldn't have children. So we weren't using protection. And lo and behold, we are parents. Um, crazy. With, with, with a dad who doesn't like SpongeBob. Yes. Can you believe it? I mean, I cannot. <laughs> he also says like he didn't really grow up with TV and like surprised himself saying that he grew up like it was the 1800s and it's it, <laughs> gotcha. Yes. So with that, um, I'm sure that y'all had some kind of really cool shared experiences in YWAM, um, other than just like walking, which is amazing just that y'all could talk so much and connect so much over something as simple as walking. But I, I know just kind of from hearing some of your story, um, but also just hearing other people talk about YWAM, that y'all probably got to do some like really cool stuff for the kingdom of God together at, in that time. Yeah, so I did a... Um... I did a general DTS and then Austin did a DTS focused on skateboarding. So they were spending a lot of time in Hollywood and at skate parks, um, simply just being there and, um, making relationships with skaters and, um, doing cookouts. And that was their thing. That was just as simple as it got. And it was really amazing. And Austin has been to Chile for a total of, about six months um, doing skate ministry, um, went to San Francisco, and then I went to St. Vincent and the Grenadines um, and did outreach there. It's a small island group in uh, the Caribbean. It's where they filmed the Pirates of the Caribbean, if that gives you any visuals. It's very picturesque, but it's very Beautiful cool. place, it seems like. Yes, so gorgeous but it was the most difficult it was so hard I think we had the hardest outreach out of everybody that went on outreach um it was it was really hard um but it it grew us a ton um it was really amazing what we got to see and who we got to pray for yeah definitely dude that is like I, I can't even imagine getting to do something like that with someone as you're like simultaneously falling in love slash in love yeah so um with that like was ywam kind of the place where music began for you or was that something that you kind of started in young life and brought to ywam because i know music is a big part of like your expression of worship and has been for our church um so what was that like for um in ywam um so i've always uh I haven't been like super, I guess, outspoken with uh, singing. So like, I'm not going to ask to like lead worship, you know, um, I'm not going to be like, Hey, I lead worship or I sing. Like, can I do this? Um, my experience has always been like people suggesting that I try it out or do it. And so I was doing it before YWAM because I was kind of invited into it. 
Um, and then same thing in YWAM, um, just invited to lead worship um, a lot. Um, I think if anybody has heard me sing, they understand that I don't need a mic. And so uh, I sing very loud and very proud for all to hear. Um, and so it uh, that's just kind of how it ended up being. And I actually... <laughs> used um singing as um like kind of a performance everyone in ywam learns some kind of skit or performance to do in front of people it's just like standard outreach and we learned a skit and then me and my friend were performing songs and at one point we were visiting a church to talk about discipleship and a person i was paired with was introducing and he said that Kirsten is going to come up here and sing a worship song with no instruments and I'm in this little rickety church and it I had to sing a worship song a cappella, and he just put me on the spot and it was it was very humbling um but worship is something I've always like singing worship has always been something where um it connects me to God. It's like putting my feelings in a physical form um, and in a physical expression. And it's great because it's something I can use that people enjoy and that I can enjoy. And you can tangibly access um, to understand emotion. Um something that is hard for me and uh, something that is very deeply a part of who I am. And um, when I'm in worship, I think that's where I feel that passion that we were talking about earlier. That's where I feel like taking me back to my roots and my faith of feeling that, that flow of Jesus's love, you know, and it's great because it can flow into the different currents that I have going on with anger or disappointment or hurt or frustration or questions. And, um, yeah, it's just, I think I get this picture of like, um, the undertoes and the, the currents, the riptides and the ocean and how they all kind of swivel and swirl, um, together, but they all flow. Um, and they're all the ocean. And so that's kind of how it feels inside of me when I'm singing. And it, it's like, um, a, like a release of all of these difficult things that I'm kind of dealing with. And it's a form of like therapy, kind of like how, you know, when people cry, they feel better. Um, so singing allows me to kind of channel those those things upward man that is like beautiful like is that so have these kind of images and just even these descriptive phrases have they always kind of just really to you because even the way you talk about worship is like poetic um is it something that's always just kind of come naturally to you or what's that kind of um been like in your journey is it just a gift um i suppose it is i just i really Um, people would say that I like to paint a picture with my words and I, I feel like I struggle with people understanding where I'm coming from 
especially in emotions, because as a culture, as an American culture, we try to kind of like swim as quickly as we can away from uh, emotional difficulty. And, you know, it's just now that we're starting to talk about, you know, mental health and getting help or going to counseling and like normalizing it. And it is such a beautiful thing to see in our culture. Um, And it's such a healthy thing. But since like, that's just how like just difficult emotions are difficult and no one wants to sit in them. And it's a way for me to, for people to also experience what I'm seeing or feeling. And I want people to grasp that and, um, and be able to touch it and feel it and smell it. And, um, yeah, it, the way I describe things, I just want people to so deeply understand, um, and experience what I'm kind of envisioning. And so I suppose it can come out more, um, poetic. It's amazing what we can do with our words, um, and they can be very powerful and they can help and love people, but they can so very much hurt. Um, so I think it's, I, I, um, I value, um, vocabulary and being able to have a deep understanding of things, I think. Yeah. I mean, James himself said that, uh, the tongue is like a, a rudder of a ship that steers it, you know, like it's like this little thing that dictates the direction of an entire vessel. Um, and so much is true of that in our own lives with our own words. Um, Mm, I just love that kind of correlation he gives, but what's worship kind of been like for you in this season? Because obviously, um, probably for the average person, when we think worship, we think um, sitting in a room at a church, singing along with some people in a band. Um, But we know that worship is so much broader than that. And so what's worship been like for you in this season where the main thing we think of when we think of worship has been kind of taken away from us? Absolutely. Yeah. Worship right now is very difficult. Um, And I think a lot of people think the only access to worship is a YouTube video and, um, and it can be, it's such a great tool. Me and Sebastian watch YouTube videos a lot of, and we just, you know, try to worship that way. But um, for me, worship in this season has been painting and working with clay and painting is like my bread and butter of all things. Um, I love to paint and it's just been so huge part of who I am for a very long time. And I've always wanted to be an artist and that's where I've felt my intelligence kind of just beings. Um, so, um, that's kind of my zone and it has brought me so much joy, peace and purpose. And I feel that when I paint and when I work with clay, I, I, I feel connected to who I am and to who God has made me to be. And God is a creator himself. It's such a cool thing to connect with him with because it's almost like an apprenticeship like god you created like teach me or like i'm following in his footsteps and it's kind of like like i'm doing what you know god is like that's his occupation is creation and yeah um, uh it's really really neat i feel 
I feel excited and happy when I do it. And that's been a, a huge thing I've been doing to combat my depression, um, as well as um, I'm now on medication and I go to counseling and I do all of these things as um, healthy resources for me to cope. And having time for myself and to break away and to focus in on what I'm creating and um, and being surprised by what I make and what I create and being satisfied with that is it's just so good to cling on to something that God has created you to do. And um, yeah, I just I want it for everybody to. Worship is anything that you feel like you're gifted or talented in and that you're just like rolling in it and that if you just start doing it and can focus on it, it can be a form of worship. Mm. Uh, Creativity um, is great for that. And a lot of people think worship is just musical and you have to play the guitar and sing to be able to do worship and Um, What we do in our everyday can be a form of worship for God Um, that honestly tidying up can be a form of worship. Um, That's another thing I do to worship, I think, is to kind of um, it's like prayer. A prayer kind of feels like you're tidying up the things Mm. in your heart. You know, you're picking up the things that have fallen and putting them back where they should go or releasing.